hard work every day Not an easy mom, got no time to play Always on the go, you stuck on the flow But it's time for the show Hello and welcome back to another amazing episode of the Not For Lazy Moms podcast. We want it all, we do it all. Today's topic is going to be very heavy. So I just want people to prepare themselves mentally. Um, It's a necessary topic to discuss. So we are going to take it there as we always do. Our topic today is dealing with loss. I want to welcome back Allie, who is in the studio. Yes, happy to be here. Happy to be here as always. And Chris, where you at? I'm right here, baby. Are you ready or are you, are you over there writing plays? No, no, I'm ready. You ready for real this yes, time? Okay. Yes, of <laughs> so today, I want to talk about a very sensitive topic, um, dealing with loss. We watch the news. We see parents who lose their children, children who lose their parents, family who lose family and friends. But how do you really deal with losing a loved one? Society has almost desensitized us when it comes to death. We see it all the time. Um, But on a personal level, what do people out there do when they're trying to move forward? The shock, the fear, the emotions. You go right into funeral preparations. People come over initially and they'll bring food and sweet cards and wish their most genuine condolences. But after the funeral is over, when you're alone, and you still feel that emptiness, that sadness, that pain. What happens when you're tired of putting on a good face and you're tired of being strong? Your child can't be replaced. Your loved one can't be replaced. So how do you really continue moving forward? How do you grieve? Is, is there a right way? Is there a wrong way? How long is long enough to be in mourning? Is there a time limit? There's so many questions that surround dealing with loss and how one should feel after they've lost somebody and their life has not only changed forever, but they're left feeling sort of void. We've all been there. Today, we have a special guest. I always love to bring in people who are more than an expert than I am with a certain topic. So our special guest is Sherry Ricard. She is an author, an expert in adversity recovery. She's a speaker, corporate educator, and host of Real Girl Talk podcast radio show. She is, a, she is a master in teaching the art of positive mindset. She found her passion for helping others when her life was turned upside down as a mother. You could never imagine what she's been through. And, and unless you've walked in her shoes, she actually lost her 70-year-old son, Brian, who tragically died in an auto accident, coming home one night, trying to make curfew. She understands the need to reclaim yourself when life tosses a devastating blow. For seven years, she used a pen and a paper and later then on her laptop to write down every pain, every struggle and every milestone she encountered after the worst day of her life. Facing a crossroad in life with depression and destruction versus using her pain and regaining her power, she chose to live in a way that would honor her son's memory and also give glory to God. So, Sherry, thank you so much for being on. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Monique. I appreciate you having me. I really do. Now, Sherry and I, Sherry and I hit it off because I was actually a guest on her podcast, Real Girl Talk, and we literally finished the podcast and we were on the phone talking for like an hour. <laughs> we were. We hit it off. Um, I was not privy to her story, and when she told me her story, I was so touched. I said, I have to have you on to talk to the listeners of the Not for Lazy Moms podcast because I really feel like your story can help so many people. Um, I think that we've all lost someone significant, if not once or twice, several times. But I cannot imagine losing a child. I look at my three kids. I could not imagine. It's something that no parent even wants to think about. So I just want you to go ahead and tell us your story and and what you're doing now that keeps your son Bryant's memory alive. Thank you, Monique. I appreciate that. Well, It was back in 2007. I was on top of the world, actually. I had been in the healthcare industry for over 25 years, was an RN. At one point, I did travel nursing, been all over the country, but I had just landed a corporate position, and it was really going to set me in a much higher financial stability bracket than I was able to do as an RN. And I had three healthy children. I was on my second marriage, eight years in, happy soulmate. Everything was great. I was in California training for that very position. And on the third day of training, I received a phone call at two o'clock in the morning. And on the other end of the line, there was nothing but just sobbing. I recognized the voice to be my husband, Wendell. And all he could say is, it's Bryant. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I knew and call it a mother's intuition, call it a God 
you know, gift, uh, intuitiveness, whatever it is. But I knew at that moment that my son was no longer here. Uh. Now, it wasn't because he was, you know, had any reason in his life as 17 years old to not be here. Bryant was amazing. He was National Honor Society, 4.2 grade point average, which, you know, I didn't even know was possible in life. And he was also um, an all-star first baseman for his high school. He was voted most attractive of his senior class. So he was just an all-around amazing kid. He could have landed a scholarship, academic or baseball scholarship anywhere. He wanted to go to LSU and Louisiana fighting tigers. And he there was no reason for him not to be here, but I knew in my heart, Bryant wasn't here. And all I could say was, don't tell me. Wow. And he told me, he said, Bryant was in a car accident and he didn't make it. Uh, so, uh. you know, what goes through your mind is actually a disconnection. You, you completely disconnect from, and I wish there were earthly words, Monique, because there's no earthly words to describe the disconnect. And all I can do is relate it to what people call an out-of-body experience, that you're in the motions, but you don't actually, it's not you going through the motions. Mm -hmm. It's like your whole mind and body takes over an action that you know that you have to do but you're not consciously doing that action. So wow. the first thing that I did was I, um, after I circled the hotel room a few times, I was just walking in circles. I called the desk and I only knew one person in training that I, you know, had really hit it off with. And I said, call his room, tell him to come to my room. It's an emergency. He came up there. I, I called John, my guardian angel in saving grace because he came in and he was very calm, very nice gentleman. And he said, we need to get you on a plane. You need to get your suitcase. And so he kind of walked me through the entire steps of getting me in a car, taking me to LA and getting on a plane. And we flew to Memphis, which is where my son was at the time of his death. And over the course of seven to nine days, it was just that complete out-of-body experience, if you will, if I can explain it that way, that you're going through the motions, but you really don't believe what actually happened. And I don't know about some mothers, but I can honestly tell you, I always felt that Bryant was with me. He was with me the entire time that we were in Memphis and planning this funeral. And the only time that I really felt that he was truly gone was on the day that we buried him. Wow. Can I I get you to pause for one second? Because I I really need to say this. This is so, as you're talking about the different steps, disconnect, disbelief in the outer body experience. um, I lost a friend, uh, one of my very best friends um, a few years ago, actually at our house, our lake house um, to an ATV accident. And exactly what you're describing is exactly what I went through. Literally the same thing as far as the disconnect. Um, feeling right. like I literally I would describe it as like I felt like an angel just took over my whole entire body for like 10 days because that's how long it took between the time she died to when we buried her. And it's the same as what you're saying, where you feel and you see yourself going through the motions. You see yourself making plans and preparations, but it's not you. It right. was literally the same. That is so crazy. And then I kept having dreams about her and in my dreams she would be standing right next to me, but she couldn't see me. So I would be talking to her and I would shout her name and she would just be like standing in the mirror, fixing her hair and she couldn't hear me. And the night of her funeral, after we buried her that night, I had another dream, the same exact dream. And the only difference was this time I called her name and she turned around Mm. and I said, you can hear me. And she said, yeah, what's up, girl? Like, it was like, she didn't even know what was going on. And then I said, just come here, give me a hug. And I'm just, I just hugged her. And it was weird because it was almost like she didn't know. And I didn't want to tell her. But that was the first time. And it was almost like closure for me. Mm. But, um, but Mm. go ahead where you were. I'm sorry. So, you know, that's interesting that you said that about the dreams, because that is not something that I've been privileged to do. And I actually talked to someone yesterday about that, but you know, so basically we, it was just a chain of events of, you know, how do you plan your child's funeral and how do you get through your child's funeral? Well, I was surrounded, I will tell you by, I call them my posse girls, but, mm-hmm. you know, I was surrounded by so many people 
And it was incredible. And one thing that I found out later was in Memphis at this at the funeral home, the funeral director had told me later that I didn't even realize that there were people waiting outside in the parking lot because they weren't allowed to come in because they had far exceeded the capacity allowed by the fire department into the building. And, you know, but you have to understand, you know, here is this national honor society, high school kid, you know, most attractive of his senior class, all-star first baseman. It made news right in Memphis. So it was all over the news. And that's something that, you know, I had to see over and over. It was on the largest radio stations in Memphis, Um, So we would be in the car and we turned it on and they would talk about Bryant and his accident and they would replay the scene over and over on the news. And, you know, you would think that he was a TV celebrity the way they kept talking about it. But every time I would hear it, I disconnected and I thought literally Monique, Mm -hmm. at one point I was watching the news and I thought, oh, that poor mother for a split second. It's, oh, that poor mother. Oh, my God, the mother is me. And you really, you disconnect from it. And I really think it's God's protection for you because Mm -hmm. if you didn't and you actually felt all of that pain, to me, it would be equivalent of being awake during open heart surgery. Wow. The pain that you would endure for a physician to cut you open in surgery would be the same emotional pain that you would feel. And we couldn't endure that type of physical pain no more than we can endure the emotional pain Mm. of losing a child. So you do that disconnect. And I believe that it was at one point when we buried him on July 16th, he died July 12th, 2007. We buried him on my best friend's birthday. She didn't even know it was her birthday that day. She was just standing there and somebody reminded her it was her birthday on July 16th. um, It was a point to where I really felt that he was getting further and further from me. And that's when the depression started setting in. Wow where it was like, wait a minute, don't leave, don't leave. When he actually had been gone, it was that feeling of, why am I feeling like you're leaving me? Don't leave me. Mm. You know, so then we had to travel back home because we were in Louisiana at the time. I was establishing residency for him so he could go to LSU. And I'm originally from Louisiana. So we had moved back from Memphis to Louisiana where I was establishing residency. So I had to leave him at his gravesite and drive back home. to Louisiana after a week. And it's the most painful tragedy you can ever go through losing a child. And if you've never had a child, it's equivalent to losing your parent or your best friend or your sister. I mean, grief is grief and everyone's grief and tragedy and pains are different. So I'm by no means saying that you know, you've never been through pain unless you've lost a child because it's it's equivalent like you lost your best friend right. and you had that disconnect. It's whatever that loss is in your life. Right. It's what is equivalent to your pain and your loss. Wow. Wow. I know, Allie, you wanted to. I'm barely keeping it together right now. Oh. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> um, <clears throat> if you want to take a pause, well, it's fine. It's just everything you're saying is is incredibly um, relatable. I. I was driving my one-year-old son home from daycare and my stepmom called and it was that intuition. And I'd spoken to my dad earlier that morning. They were both in Mexico um, for a work trip and it was the same thing. I mean, the, the crying and I just knew my dad was not okay and he had a massive heart attack. Wow. And um, But it's like you go into that mode where it's an out-of-body experience I remember pulling over, just like how you said, you were circling the hotel room. Like there are little things that you just always remember and you could Mm -hmm. still go back and relive them. And I remember pulling over in a parking lot and just collapsing to the ground and I wailed. And then I had to get back in my car and make my son dinner. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like you go through that experience. And this is, you know, this is coming from someone who I had never left my one year old before. But I knew that that night I had to go to the airport. I had to go to Mexico by myself and I had to make sure that my dad's um, body got home. okay. And so that's what I did. And I went home and went through the motions of planning the funeral. I spoke at the funeral and he was a larger than life person. So my goal was to make everybody laugh because he was a stand up comedian And it's like the same thing. You just you go through these motions. But I will say what is upsetting me right now. And, you know, I don't know if you have insight to this, but like I do 
feel like he is further and further away from me. And I look at my children Mm -hmm. and, you know, they don't, they're not going to know who he is. So. Right. Well, and to Allie, you know, and we can talk about that if you want to get into that, but there are ways that, that they can know who he is. And those are things that I teach and how to incorporate that and how to grow through grief, but we never get over it. You know, I, I, that's a pet peeve of mine, you know, to get over it. You're never going to get over it. And that's one of the taboo words to ever tell a mom, mm-hmm. um, you know, number one, you have more children. Yes. I've heard that. And number two, you know, it's time to move on. So those are two things never to tell a mom who's lost a child, unless you want to be throat punched (laughs) (laughs) because you can't replace, I mean, Monique, you guys have three children. I mean, just because you, if you lose one, does it, the other two does not make up for the loss of the other one. And I have three children as well. I'll always say I have three children. I have two that live on earth and one that lives with Jesus. And there is one of my children, Christina or Carson is never going to take the place of my Bryant. Right. Right. There are three separate souls and three yes. separate spirits that were given by God. So they're not replaceable. They're irreplaceable. Yes. It's crazy because last night I'm looking at baby Chase while he sleeps and I'm looking at him and I'm like, wow. Like I think about the fact that we almost lost him very early yeah. on. Uh, uh, you know, my doctor pretty much had me on bed rest until I was 16 weeks. And um, and thank God he made it through. Then we had crazy things happen when he was born. And it was just a roller coaster. And I look at him and I said, you know, I was just literally last night. I was like, I thank God that this perfect little baby, he's so happy. He is mm-hmm. like he has his own little personality and he just cracks me up. And I'm like, wow, I had a miscarriage last year or the year before. And I was like, dang, it sucks because it's like, I wonder what that baby would have been like, you know, and and even something as simple as that, where I'm literally looking at this baby and I'm looking at him and saying, well, he didn't take the place of the baby that we lost. Cause that would have been another baby with a totally different personality. And I wonder about that, you know? And, And so to actually, you know, experience having a child and going through all of those different emotions and, and then losing that child earthly, you know, losing them. Right. Like that's just something that like, wow, like, you know, I, I never know the right things to say. I never know what to say to comfort a person who's going through any type of loss. Um, you know, anybody who watches the show, you watched uh, Karen Huger. She lost both her parents seven or eight months apart. And, I talked to her now and she said, it's so crazy because last year she said, I was totally tapped out. She said she, as she watches the show now, she's like, I was totally, my mind wasn't there with y'all. Like I really wasn't paying attention. She was physically there, but just not right. Right. And I I really felt bad for her because she was so on edge with people and moving forward with other people because she was dealing with something so real and People were judging how she grieved and and it it really pissed me off because I'm like, so what if she is grieving every day? That's her priority. You know, that's her right. Right. To feel. And, you know, and that's when you say that it just made me think about at the very beginning uh, when we got back home in Louisiana and you saying that people deal with grief in a different way. The one thing that I did, which I do not recommend, is that I turned my house into a Bryant shrine. So basically what I did was everywhere you turned, a hallway, a desktop, a dresser, there were pictures in beautiful frames of my son everywhere. But what I didn't realize that I was doing was I was torturing the people that were living in the same home as I was, because that's not how they grieve. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people or just the opposite. They don't want to see photos. They don't want to see memories. They don't want to talk about it at that very moment. There's things that they do to push it aside where I did the opposite and it became the house of Bryant and no one else existed. Wow. And, you know, it lasted that way for, I will say, close to about seven or eight months, maybe a little longer. And my husband, who it's just, I call him really, he's just a big teddy bear, but you know, he used to play it. He dabbled in the NFL, Chris, just a little bit. Okay. He says he, he put the uniform on, on the practice <laughs> squad. <laughs> but he's, he's a big dude, you know, six, five, two ninety five, And, you know, he comes to me in tears and he said, Sherry, 
we can't do this anymore. You have, you, you've got to take these pictures down. You're killing us. And one thing I don't think people realize when you're going through it, and especially that of a mom, because you're in that protective mode where you have that shield around you as a mom or a father, as a parent of, you don't know how I feel. And this is what I have to do because for some reason, our grief is the most important grief in the entire family and entire group of friends and everywhere you go. We are the queen of that grief. And so you have to abide, your grief has to abide by our grief. And that is false. Right. right. And you can't do that. So what I did was I did, I took down the pictures and I took a lot of the pictures, his senior pictures. And right now where I'm talking to you, there's a big, beautiful picture of my son in a tuxedo as a senior picture. And I have it in my office and I have just a few photos, very few, like two or three in my home. And then we have a big photo of him that we keep in a hallway because we call him the guardian angel of our home. Mm -hmm. And that just stays in our hallway because he is the angel over our house. And that's it. All the other shrine pictures came down. um, And eventually after about a year, I had to move out of that house because I could not that room that he was in, even though he was in Memphis, we went back and forth and he would come down to Louisiana all of the time. And, you know, that was his room and I couldn't take it anymore. So we eventually moved out of the house. But like I tell everyone, and even in, you know, my coaching that I do is I tell them, don't do anything for a year. Don't do anything for a year. A lot of people want to make you know, big strides and I've got to move out of this house in two months or, you know, they're going to get rid of someone's clothing in the next three months or, you know, they may make major changes or sell their business in two weeks because somehow that loved one was attached to it. And then we live in regret of doing things because like you said, we're not in our right mind. We're just walking through the motions. Yeah. And so until we can really get ourselves together, which usually takes about 10 to 12 months, mm-hmm. I don't recommend any major lifestyle changes. Yeah, at it's, all. it's crazy that you say a year. Um, it literally took me a year to go back to our vacation property after mm-hmm. my friend passed away. That's right. Um, it took a year. And, and, and I felt bad for Chris. At the time, Chris and I were dating. So we weren't engaged or married or anything yet. And uh, it's a house that... Um, that we purchased, you know, we, we scouted it out. It was like our home, even though he paid for it, uh, <laughs> and it was before, before we got married or anything. Um, but and it was a house that we loved. It was literally like the adult playroom. Like we loved going there. Um, we would have friends come all the time, have a good time. And for a whole year, I could not go to that property. Every time Chris, he was very patient with me as well. He was very patient. Um, you know, we had friends that say, are y'all ever going to go back out there? And I'm like, we will eventually, but it literally took me an entire year. And even once we finally went there, I could not look at the area where it happened for Mm -hmm. months after. Like I couldn't even look in that direction. If I was driving myself, um, I had to like hurry by it. Um, you know, even, uh, it was crazy after the incident happened and before we actually buried her, um, I couldn't even drive. Um, one day I went out and I told Chris and after that he was like, um, yeah, no, you need to be home and I need to see if somebody can come stay with you just to make sure you're good. But yeah, I left the house and I couldn't figure out like mentally I was gone. I couldn't figure out why I left and then I couldn't figure out how to get back home. Right. <laughs> and I just sat in the car. and I was just like confused. I called my mom and then she was like, yeah, you don't need to be driving. I stopped eating. I'm mm-hmm. already um, not you know, this is before pregnancy. I was 120 pounds um, soaking wet. And I got down to 109, which losing one pound for me is a lot. I was so skinny at her funeral. My mom was very concerned. She's like, you need to eat. And I was like, I just don't have an appetite. Mm -hmm. Like I would try to eat soups or I was barely drinking water. I mean, literally I was, I don't even know how, and I know how it was nothing but God that I even got through it but yeah but it it does take time and um even after that years later then you have your major milestones you know you get married she was supposed to be a bridesmaid of mine we talked about this you know um Mm. she was supposed to be an auntie to my kids so she stayed in a room when we lived at our old house and that was always the room she liked to stay in because it had the biggest bed and that became my son's room So, um, yeah, that became my son's room. So Uh 
one night when, and I think you remember this, Chris, he was probably two years old. Mm -hmm. It was before we had Milani. And he kept telling me that he had a friend that would come to him at night. Stop. And Uh, yeah, yeah, so he said, "I, I have a friend. And one night my cousin Hank was there and he said he was watching Christopher while we went out. And he said, um, your son just creeped me out. And I was like, what happened? He said, I put him to sleep. He was knocked out. He said, I was heading up to the room so I could go lay down. And I come, I walk past the room and I hear talking. He said, so he stops and he looks in the room and Christopher is sitting up in his bed having a full-blown conversation. Wow. And I was like, are you serious? So the next day I talked with Christopher and I said, babe, um, who were you talking to last night? And he said, oh, my friend. And I said, who's your friend? He said, without telling you what my actual friend's name is, he said something that was very similar to her name. He said, Uh, oh, my friend. I said, what's her name? He said, her name is Shona. And my friend's name is Lashana, who we uh, call Shana. Right. But he said Shona. So it literally gave me, even right now, I'm getting the chills. goosebumps right now. Yeah. So he's telling me this. And I said, well, what were y'all talking about? And And he was like, oh, she was just asking how was I? And I was just like, he's talking like a kid you know right. and I was like whoa and it really creeped me out I remember this yeah. <laughs> and yeah. um, and and then I said okay well if, if your friend comes again just let me know you know if she comes and you know just, just wake up and come let mommy know and after that it, it stopped happening and then we obviously moved out of that house but that was just it just right. blew my mind like have you ever and had you know any experiences what? Monique, like that? that is so real and it is so true what you're saying and the fact that you overheard it and then you went back and asked him and then it stopped mm-hmm. is because that was the conversation that she was having with him. That wasn't something that you were supposed to know. So once that was broken, then it stops. And yeah. I truly believe that because I've hear that over and over. My son was seven at the time when he lost his 17 year old brother. And mm-hmm. let me tell you something. I mean, you know, there's Jesus and then there's Bryant <laughs> and yes. my seven-year-old had Bryant above the stepladder of Jesus. And, and he just idolized him, completely idolized him. And Bryant loved his little brother. And one thing that happened was, you know, one thing that they did is when Bryant was at the house in Louisiana, you know, he would say, all right, you know, they go play baseball or whatever they would do in the backyard. And it was time to take a shower. Bryant Carson wanted to take a shower with his big brother. And so they would take a shower and he'd wash his hair. He said he loved how Bubby called him Bubby would scratch his head and wash his hair. So one night the same thing happened. Carson was having a full blown conversation. Now he's seven years old Mm. and he's having a conversation in the shower by himself. And he got out and I said, who are you talking to? And he said, Bubby. And I said, you were talking to Bubby? And he said, yeah, he was washing my hair. Wow. And I said, Bubby was washing your hair. And I'm trying to remain calm. You know, I'm trying not to lose it. And, and I said, Bubby was washing your hair. And of course, my husband is sitting over there going, what is going on right now? And I said, well, what did he say? And he said, he told me I did good today. And he was talking about his baseball game. Mm. And I said, oh, you did good today. And he said, yeah. And He's washing my hair. And so every night he would want to go take a shower, but then he got upset with me because he said, Bubby doesn't come and wash his hair anymore. And it's because he told me. And, and then, so that broke that. And it it is, it's crazy because I hear those stories over and over. Once that person tells what's actually happening, it stops. And I don't, I don't know where, where that's from. I don't know if that's some spiritual phenomenon. I have no idea, but that exact thing happened to us in our ham- in our family. Yeah. I remember being really young and I would always have these like weird um almost prophetic type of experiences and it was always in my dreams. So, one day I decided, you know what? Cuz if things would happen, I'm like, "Oh my god, I dreamt about this." And I didn't have any way to prove it though. So, one mm. day I decided I'm going to start writing down my dreams. Well, as soon as I made that decision, I stopped having the dreams. <laughs> yeah, it's like it went yeah. away. It went away. And for a long time it did. And then it came back. But I knew once it came back, I said, you know what? I'm not going to write it down. Obviously, that's not the purpose of me having mm-hmm. these situations happen. So I'm just going to live and just, you know, let life 
be what it is and, and you know, try to pay attention as much as possible. But right. um, during the time when um, after your son passed and then the time where you were able to turn things around, how much time passed and how did you get out of the depression? Like what what were some of your steps? Well, I'll tell you by the grace of God, and I'll mm. tell you what happened. I received a phone call after Bryant died, and it was probably a good, I would say, two months mm. after he died. And it was from a colleague of mine that told me that they, he really needed my help, that there was a woman in his church that had recently lost her son in a motorcycle accident, and it had only been about three or four days, and that he wanted me to give her a call. Mm. And, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, who am I? You know, here I am laying in bed eating, you know, my drug of choice was peanut M&Ms. And so that's what I did for months. I laid in bed and I cried and, and ate junk food. And I said, who am I to call this woman and give her, what am I supposed to give her a pep talk? Am I, am I supposed to call and tell her, you know, hey, it's going to get better while I'm laying in bed and I can't even function and haven't washed my hair in a week? Wow. And so, but I, it took me about 24 hours. I told him I would think about it. And the next day, it was just this tugging on my heart, feeling led to call this woman. So I called her and, you know, told her who I was. And I said, you know, I don't know what I can do to help you, but I'm here for you. If you just want to cry, if you just want to talk about your son and she just lost it. She started crying. And I will tell you, we were on the phone for an hour. Mm. We cried. We spoke for an hour. We cried. We connected. We talked all of those things. But when we hung up, before we hung up, she said, thank you so much for calling me. I have not felt this kind of peace in four days. Wow. And we hung up the phone. And when she said that, it was an overwhelming, just, I was relaxed. For the first time, I was calm and I was proud of myself. Wow. And I thought, wow, I had, I think I just healed a little bit. Did that just happen? I just healed a little bit. And from that moment on is when I start, I picked up the journal that someone had given me and just a little journal book with my name, you know, engraved on it. And I, it just sat by my bed and I picked it up and I wrote down how I felt after I got off the phone with her and I set it down and I didn't pick that journal back up for two more months because it was on my birthday, November 12th of that same year, I picked up that journal because I thought I needed some healing. And I remembered talking to her and how I got that sliver of peace. And I picked up the journal on my birthday and I just started writing, hmm. just started writing my pains and writing my pains. So if there is a time frame put on it, then I would have to say it's when I just got that tad, just, I mean, a small, sliver of healing when I reached out to someone else that was hurting in the same type of hurt that I was going through, because see, I didn't have that. Mm. When, when Bryant passed away, the only thing I ever heard was, I can't imagine what you're going through. Right. I, I'm here for you. I don't know what to say, you know, and I was waiting for someone to go, I, I know how you feel. Mm -hmm. I know See, that's exactly how I feel what you're right going now. Through. I don't really know what to say. You know, fortunately I've never lost anybody that close to me. Um, the miscarriage was, you know, really rough, but I never really actually met the baby. So now I'm listening to these stories and, you know, it, it's it's hard, you know, and I don't really I, know what to say. Yeah. yeah. And I and I understand that, Chris. And I and I have a friend that I met and you may know her, Monique, but she was on Real Housewives of Dallas season one. Her name's Tiffany Hendra. Yes. She's a dear friend of mine. I love her. And with the first time that I met her. And we talked and I told her my story. It's been several years now that I had met her. It was one month later that she lost someone for the first time very close to her. And she said, Sherry, I know now why I met you. Wow. wow. And it was like God had put me in her life at that moment in preparation for what was about to come. Mm. And she said, if it wasn't for the book that you gave me, I gave her my second book. It's called Healing Your Wounded Spirit. I gave it to her and she read it on the plane ride from Dallas to LA, which is where her friend um, had died. And she said, 
if I had not known you, I, I've never even experienced this before. And so it's, it's, it's interesting because people that are listening to the show say, well, you know, I've never lost anyone. I really don't know, but that doesn't mean you're not going to, because you are, Right. it's a universal emotion. Yeah. And it's something that is going to happen in your life. It's going to happen in everyone's life. It may not be your child, God willing that it's not, but it could be a parent. It could be a sibling, best friend, you know, longtime childhood friend like, you know, Monique's, or it could be a, a business partner that, you know, or a coworker, someone that is very much in your heart and soul as someone in your family, because, you know, we can't pick our family, we yeah. pick our friends. So a lot of times our friends, our coworkers and colleagues are like family to us. So when somebody says you've lost a loved one, a lot of times it can be that colleague. It doesn't have to be that sibling that you lose. And it's the mm -hmm. same type of pain that you go through. But if you know kind of what you're expecting, and the steps and the stages of grief, you're a little more prepared. What would you say are the stages? I know I've dealt with death more times than I care to even think about. Um, growing up, my dad was always the MC of the funerals. Like for whatever yeah. reason, and not for whatever reason, my dad has a way of saying the right things, tapping into the emotion that you're feeling and then giving words of comfort. Like he's great with that. And um, he, I mean, from the time we were little, it was always my dad that people would call on if someone passed away in the church or in the family that they wanted him to emcee the funeral service. And he's really good at it. He'll have you, um, you know, you'll walk in, you'll feel really sad and you're mourning, but then he somehow has a way of turning it into a life, celebra uh, life celebration and you started to focus more on the life of the person and celebrating them and all of their quirks and the fun things about them, the real things about them. And you felt better when you left the funeral service. You know, you felt more like, OK, I'm equipped. I can handle this. He's really good at that. So we were always at funerals. I mean, church family, family. You know, I, I had great grands and great, great grands. I was actually privileged to meet my great great grandmother. I was in first grade when she passed away, and um, and, and the women in my family live a long time, so be be ready, Chris. So, <laughs> um, you know, my my great grandmothers who just passed away. One passed away when I was pregnant with Milani, and the other passed away on my dad's side um, a year after or two years after. So they were like well into their nineties. Um, so yeah, so it's like we we were always surrounded by death. It felt like once or twice a year I was going to a funeral, if not more. Wow. I've had friends who passed away when I was in high school um, going to funerals. Like, But it it's never anything compared to when it's someone close to you to the point where for a long time I didn't even want to make new friends because I had the fear of losing you know, them. Right. And I didn't want to feel that pain that I saw in people when I would go to funerals and see them losing someone close to them. I didn't want to cry. I didn't. Sometimes I would literally go to a funeral and I would just try to force myself to not cry because I did not want to feel that emotion. But then I started to realize how destructive that was. And I said, you know right. what? It's OK to feel because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to feel. And that right. was the only way for me to be able to move on is to let myself feel those emotions. If I wanted to scream, let me get it out my system. If I need to cry, let me get it out my system to the point where you get to a point where you're just like, I don't even have any more tears left because right. I've cried so much. It's nothing wrong with that. You know, so. No, there's not. Yes. So, yes. <laughs> so, uh, so the stages of grief. I'm sorry. That's OK. So the stages of grief and, and just to kind of add on what you said is I know it feels like sometimes the sadness is never going to diminish, but we have to understand the feelings that we're having can be frightening. They can be overwhelming, but they also are all normal reactions to loss. But like you were saying, accepting those reactions to loss is all part of the grieving process and allowing yourself to experience everything that you're feeling has to be necessary for healing. And you're going to find that when you go through the stages of grief, and I'll just tell you a little bit of background of those in uh, the stages of grief, they were actually started in 1969 by Elizabeth Ross. Mm. And I don't think she ever meant these stages to be just like, you know, 
etched in stone. You're going to go through every single one of them Mm -hmm. and you know, they're going to be in order, but I truly believe in her stages. There are some psychiatrists that will say, Oh, that's hogwash and you don't go through stages. And I will stand up and argue with the best of them. Don't put me on a debate team when it comes to grief because (laughs) I will win, (laughs) but grief is basically in two parts. Okay. So you have your first part, which is your first four stages. And then you have your second part of grief, which is the remaking of life, which is your fifth part of stage. So the first part is always in denial. And those are the things where we're like, this can't be happening to me. What has just happened? So like when you lost your friend, Mm -hmm. there's a period of denial where you're going, what just happened? This didn't happen for a split second. And that's when you start disconnecting yep. and you have that out of body, that whole out of body is that entire denial stage. And then a lot of times that denial will go into the anger mm-hmm. and that anger phase. Now that depends on what type of grief that you're going through. So I have talked to mothers in I think now I'm up to seven states that I've spoken to bereavement groups and women's groups and empowerment groups. Um, And I have met so many women and some of those have lost their children to suicide. They've lost their children to murder. Mm. I met a woman who was sleeping in her bed and her 18 year old was down the hall and his best friend was spending the night and shot him and then fled, ran out the window and fled. So she had to go through court proceedings. I mean, there's all kind of ways. So the anger is going to determine the actual grief that you're going through. And let me preface this by saying grief is not just about losing a loved one. Hmm. And I think a lot of people look at grief and loss as losing someone to death, but there is a grief in divorce Hmm. that if you've ever gone through divorce and say you've been married for, I don't know, 10, 15 years, you found out that your husband likes the 20 year old secretary, or maybe you, you know, uh, if you're a, a male, you found out that your wife thinks that the grass is green or somewhere else, whatever it is, and you're a divorce and you've been left, you're suffering that loss and that abandonment. And you have to go through grief because look, Saturday mornings are not the same anymore. Right. You know, your evening routine is different. You, you don't have a partner in life anymore. You know, holidays are different. So let's just understand when we're talking about grief in the stages, it can be used for not just the death of a loved one, but in divorce, broken friendships, financial destruction, losing your business, mm-hmm. your identity. You know, I know that when my husband left the athletics, there was a part of his identity that was gone because that's what he poured himself into. Right. And so it's like, wait a minute, that's who I was. Like, who am I now? Right. And you go through that grief. So you have the anger of, you know, what's happening. And now you want to blame someone. My son was in the car by himself. So there was no one driving him. He wasn't hit by a drunk driver. All of these things that I have met other people that have encountered, that wasn't my experience. So you go through anger, depending on whether there is someone to blame or, you know, what was happening? Why is this happening to me? And the anger can be triggered towards God. Oh yeah. And, and I will tell you, there were a few weeks and I am a Christian woman. I walk in faith the best I can, but I'm not perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, I tell people, I love Jesus a lot and I cuss sometimes a little, you know, that's just my real self. (laughs) And I try, I try to walk a really good Christian line, but I was angry at God because I thought, you know what? I'm a good person. You know, I, I've been in the healthcare industry. Do you know how many lives I've saved? Do you know how many times I've brought some back, back to life and CPR or saved them or took care of someone's family member? How did you do this to me? Wow. How do I deserve this? And so my anger was towards God, but it didn't last very long because believe me, he'll come in and get a handle on you. Yes. And my, pastor always, my pastor always says, keep it real with God. You know, whatever oh, yeah, you're feeling, yeah, he'll keep it keep real it with real. you. Exactly. <laughs> he will. And so the next stage is what we call the bargaining stage. And that is make this go away. If you make this go away, then I will do X, Y, and Z. Mm. If you will bring my son back to me, I will do all of these things for you, Jesus. You know, you, you go into this whole bargaining in your mind that in it, that stage normally doesn't last very long because that's when the reality kicks in of what actually has happened. But I know there was a probably about a two day period there where I was actually bargaining with God. And I thought, you know, it says that in the Bible that he brought people back to life. So Mm -hmm. is it possible that this could be a miracle and you could, you start really challenging your brain. Things starts happening because I remember 
when I first laid my eyes on my son after I got to Memphis and it was at the funeral home. He had just come back from the, you know, they had brought him to the hospital after the accident and then transferred him back to the nursing home and they had cleaned him. Um, and we'll get just a little graphic here. I wanted to lay on the gurney with him. I wanted to get up there and no one would let me, but I wanted to lay there because I truly believed if I laid there next to him and I laid my hand on his heart and I prayed hard enough and I made a deal with Jesus that he, his heart would start beating again. Wow. And of course that leaves you pretty quickly, but for it to even come into your thought process, that's where that, that challenge of that bargaining comes in. You really start bargaining with God. Yeah. And then the depression sets in. Depression is when the reality comes and it's, I don't want to do anything. I don't care about anything. And one thing that my husband and I, when we eventually went to counseling and he told the counselor and he had never told me, he said, the thing that upset him the most was when I was in the depression and I said in front of a group of friends that there is no one I care about on this earth as much as I did my son. Wow. And for for me to say that in my head, I'm thinking something totally different than what is being portrayed out. Right. Of course, I care about people. I have two other children and I have a husband and I have family, but you are so wrapped up into your grief and your loss and you're so depressed that your thought process is, I care about nothing. I care about no one because my life is over. Wow. I felt as though my life had completely ended and there was, it was not going to be the same. And it's not, I was going to actually create a new normal because what I knew as to be my normal was no longer, but what I had not done is created my new normal. So I was in my depression and this is when we start, it has, it's really, you have to be real careful because we can go into what we call a complicated depression to where we start grabbing anything. So this is when people turn to alcohol, they turn to drugs they turn to promiscuous behaviors, mm -hmm. they turn to anything. And, and sometimes it turns into wanting to take your own life. Wow. And I've met mothers and I have met people that have been so tormented by the grief in their life. And it's not been always because of a loss of a loved one. I've met people that have been in financial destruction and have lost their businesses and their identity that don't want to live anymore. Wow. So that grief is really, really thick. It's really, really strong for someone to feel that their life is over because their business has collapsed and they're financially in destruction. So once you go through that depression, and there's a lot of different ways that you can go through depression. And I will tell you, a lot of mine was journaling. Okay. And, you know, I can give you some tips later about, you know, how you can kind of work through that. But I want to let you know that there is the second part of grief, which is the remaking of life. And that's when you go into your fifth stage, which is your acceptance stage. Mm. And that's when you are at some peace. So am I ever going to get over the loss of my son? Absolutely not. Because I will tell you, I have what I call my quote unquote, Bryant days. And those days are a little fewer than they were before because I've trained my mind and to not have them as often. And I give myself permission to have my moments when I have them. And I put myself on a time frame. And as crazy as that sounds, this is what I teach. And this is what I talk about. And I promise you it works. If you feel, for instance, you have to go back to work. You go back to work after a traumatic loss and you're in a meeting and all of a sudden you start getting these overwhelming feelings. You can actually tell yourself and train yourself. And it's a skill that, okay, I am going to have a breakdown and I'm not going to have it right now. I'm going to have it at one o'clock when this meeting is over. And I'm going to have this breakdown for 15 minutes uncontrollably. I'm going to my car and I'm going to lose myself for 15 minutes and get back to work. And when you start training yourself and let you yourself have those moments and allowing them to occur and not keep holding it in, holding it in, holding it in, what happens is when you hold it in and hold it in and you don't give yourself permission to have it later and you bypass it, then it comes out at the worst time possible. Wow. 
That's, you can't control it then. That's yeah. a great you tip. can't control it. And that's yes. and that's really good mental toughness too to train your mind that, that way, you know, after such a, you know, tragic event. That's something. Right. And you have to. I mean, you know, I mean, you know mental toughness, Chris. I mean, look at the business that you've been in. Right. You have to train yourself mentally what you're doing, not just physically, but it's a mental thing. I know. I've seen my husband do it. He played, and yes, this is a thing, professional softball for 15 years. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a mental toughness. I mean, he was signed by Worth Sporting Goods. Right now, he's being sponsored by Adidas. He has his own signature bat by Adidas, has his name on it. But there was a part of him when all of that was gone before it came back in his 50s as a senior softball player. There was an identity loss there. And you and I've seen him have to train his mind to get in a mindset to do what he's doing athletic wise. Well, it doesn't matter what type of business you're in. You still have to train yourself. We're disciplined. We get up, we do certain things in the morning, we go through our day, we do things at night, and we go through a routine, but that's discipline. And we have to train ourselves over time. And I'm going to tell you, it takes a while. Mm. You know, I, and like I said, no lifestyle changes for a year. But if you find yourself going through a depression and you're stuck in that last stage before acceptance, and you're turning to things that are going to be worse than what you're in right now, which is alcohol abuse, drug abuse, or you feel that you don't want to be here anymore, you need to seek immediate help, yes. immediate professional help. And I'll always give out the suicide hotline because it can be grief can overtake you to a point to where you don't want to be here anymore. I mean, you look at our the tragedy of our teenagers now, suicide in our teenagers is at an all-time high. Why is that? It's because of the sadness and depression and the grief that they're feeling in their life, whatever it may be, and they're not being dealt with that grief. And it leads to suicide. Yes. Mm. And so when you're in the acceptance phase, that acceptance where you're at peace then that's when you're in the discipline mindset. So you can see that you have to go through all the stages before you can start training yourself. And I'll tell you, some of my worst days are Mother's Day, Hmm. the anniversary death of my son, which is July 12th, Mm -hmm. and Christmas is very difficult for me. And I think that Christmas is Christmas Eve is hard for me because that's when my son opened his presents. He, you know, never wanted to wait for Santa Claus on Christmas day. It was always Christmas Eve. He wanted to open something. And I will tell you that I feel an overwhelming connection to him every single Christmas. Wow. Every Christmas. And I, and I let it happen. You know, I may go on Christmas Eve. I may go from an hour of being sad and depressed to feeling joyful to going back to my hour of depression. And then I'll pour myself into my family. And I know that it's coming just like on mother's day. Right. I know it's coming because I'm a mother to three and I can only see two. Right. I was just about to ask you when you know, cause there are a lot of people who have certain holidays and, and moments where they tie them to loved ones mm. that they've lost. So when you know it's coming, how do you mentally prepare yourself Since you know it's about, you know, you know, it's that time of year, you know, it's like it's going to happen. So what can I do so that I can get through this? Well, first, you have to find out what those triggers are. Mm -hmm. So just like when you have a situation where I don't know, maybe you're grieving over a loss of a spouse because of divorce. Right. And every there's certain triggers about that spouse that will cause you to have a breakdown. Well, the same thing happens in any type of grief when it comes to loss. So if you already know what those triggers are, and it really takes a full year for you to figure out where your triggers are. And I will tell you, it probably took me about two years to really hone down to the fact that, okay, it's going to be Mother's Day, it's going to be July, and it's going to be December. Like I I know that those are going to be tough days for me. And I have some days in between. Those are the days I call my Bryant days. And they don't last all day Mm -hmm. because I have trained my mind and I do have the discipline to know if it is a day where I cannot really talk about Bryant, Mm -hmm. then I already know it ahead of time. Right. You know, when you you asked me to be on the show, I knew immediately – I was cool. I can talk about it. I can deal with it. When I do speaking events, I know when someone asks me, it's like this feeling of, I don't know if it's God giving me permission mm-hmm. or God taking me over, but I always pray just like I did before I got on the show with you guys is I always pray, God, just give me the words that I'm supposed to say right. to touch someone that is listening. Mm-hmm. And I let Jesus 
come into my heart and he takes over. So it's not coming from me. Right. This is coming from the words that God gives me to give out to anyone that needs to hear it. And I think knowing that particular days are coming mm-hmm. that ahead of time helps me prepare in itself. Do you, because if I, I know Mother's Day is going to be rough, right? then everybody in the family knows Mother's Day is going to be rough because I'm going to tell them. Right, <laughs> right, know? right. So do you have, um, are there activities that you might plan out where, you know, you could kind of like... Honor them? Yeah. Like, like, do you do that? Like, I know with my friend, we used to uh, go to her grave site every year on her birthday. We didn't want to go on the day that... She actually passed. So we, we figured let's celebrate life. We'll go on her birthday. We'll take balloons. We, we did brunch and then we would go to her gravesite together. Um, yeah. Since I had kids, we actually haven't done it. But I always like I'll post something on, um, uh, you know, on Instagram or Facebook or I'll do something to acknowledge her. Um, it's always this time of year because it actually happened three days from now. It'll be what, 10 years, 11 years. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. So, so we'll always have something that we do just so that we can honor. Um, so yeah, like, like her, her 35th birthday would have been, uh, August 7th would just Mm. passed. So, um, so yeah, so it's like, is there something that you can plan that will kind of lighten the load or make you feel a little bit more comfort? Oh, most definitely. And I'm glad you asked that question. So when Bryant passed away, we formed um, the Bryant Kite Scholarship Foundation. And in that foundation, because like I told you, he was an athlete and you know very smart. I mean, my son, which I found out later, guys, <laughs> just to brag on my son a little bit, because we can mm-hmm. still do that, even though they're with Jesus, I brag on Bryant. But one thing I found out after he passed away is his English teacher came to me and she said, did you know that Bryant stays after school? in between school and when baseball practice starts to help students in English, he tutors them. And I said, are we talking about my son, Bryant? (laughs) And she she said, yeah, he stays in my classroom for 30 minutes after English for anybody that wants to get me tutored in English. And then he heads out to the baseball field. I never knew that about my child. And so I I hear those kind of things, but because he was so dedicated to people Mm -hmm. and he was dedicated to athletics and to health and fitness, and he was just a really cool dude, we had the Bryant Kite Scholarship Foundation to where it was an application process and any senior at his school at Cordova High School um, in Memphis, Tennessee could apply if you had over 3.0, which my son had a 4.2, we didn't hold people to that expectation, but if you had over a 3.0 and you were a full athlete and you had teacher recommendations, you could actually write a letter of why it was like a short essay of why you're deserving of the Bryant Kite Scholarship Foundation. And we had a small committee, which encompassed Bryant's friends. And we went through all the applications, which were many. And we chose a winner. And every year we were invited to their graduation, which was very big. The school had 2,500 students. And so the graduation was at a huge Mongoose church of Hope Presbyterian in Memphis. And I would present the Bryant Kite Scholarship Award along with a $2,000 check made out to the student to help them with school. And the way we raised this money was through every year we had a 5K on the anniversary of his death. And it was on a Saturday that was around July 12th, we would hold a 5k run and honor of Bryant and all the money that we made went into our scholarship fund, which in turn turned into a scholarship or money for a high school student. So that was the way that we really helped us at the beginning. And that went on for um, uh, nine years, actually, we just recently stopped doing the program because people, you know, had all his friends had moved off to other states and they have their own families. And so that had stopped. And, but the way that I do it now is every time I sell a book, I take the uh, printing cost, of course, goes back into printing more books and mm-hmm. all of the profits from um, Wake Up Call, A Mother's Grief Journey goes back into buying more books, which I give away no matter where I am. I mean, I literally, when I'm on an airplane, which I travel a lot, I take my book, I tuck it into the seat in front of me and the little, you know, right in front of you where the magazines are. And I tuck it behind there. So a flight attendant can't see it. That way she won't pick it up and throw it away. Right. But I tuck it there and I pray over that seat that the next person that sits here is a God given divine seat that it's someone that needed that book. And I do that every time I travel. Wow. And so there's little things that, that you can do, like in the holidays, um, 
everyone gives me redbirds because redbirds is one of my signs that my son is near. And so redbirds are all over my tree. And I have, that's just something that I celebrate. It doesn't bring me sadness. It brings me happiness to get a red bird as a gift. I have a red bird globe that people have given me. I have paperclip red birds. I have all these red birds. And so I, I put several of them, at least, you know, eight or nine of them on my tree and I alternate them every year. And one other thing that um, I noticed that someone did that I thought was really cool. And we, we were even talking about incorporating it this Christmas was you can take a white linen and you can lay it down on the table where everyone's gathering and give everyone a marker. And before everybody starts to eat, you could do this at Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. You could do it at someone's birthday. Like if you're celebrating their birthday after their death or Christmas and everyone just writes a message, they write a message to their loved one and thank them for joining them at the table and just treat the table as if they were there and it kind of makes them a part of it. And you can write those messages. And at the end of the meal, you fold it up and the next person that hosts the next event takes that cloth and they use it at their table. And then they write more messages. And what's really cool is you can go back and read the ones from the year before. And some, some people will write quotes. Some people will write a message. Some people will write maybe a dream or a goal that they want that person you know, that their guardian angel to help them with, and that person may be their angel. And so then they'll say, oh, wow, that goal came to pass, Wow, you know, with the message. So, but there's all kind of really cool things that you do. I think I have a blog on my website right now that gives about seven different ideas for holidays and anniversaries. That's awesome. Because a lot of people do need them, especially around holiday time. Um, You know, towards the end of the year, it's always rough for a lot of people because of, you know, losing loved ones and everything else. So um, before we close out, could you give, if you were able to just sum up something in some way for people who are experiencing loss or dealing with loss, Could you just give them a piece of advice? If you had to sum up everything that you've learned over the course of these many years that have passed by, uh, it's been 12 years uh, for you. Is there a way to sum it all up in a simple sentence or just some type of advice so that they know that there's hope and they can, you know, move forward and and do it in a comforting, healthy way? You know, I, if I could give just a small bit of advice, I would say that for me, It was number one, changing my routine every morning. Number two would be that healing came from me journaling and from writing down my thoughts because Mm -hmm. I'm not a negative Nancy Mm -hmm. and I don't want to pour all of my pains and struggles and everything on somebody else. So I would write them in a journal Okay, and it was, I was able to get that out. And Mm -hmm. maybe if someone, um, if you've lost someone by suicide and you have anger issues with that person, you can write down a letter of to them that expresses your anger, expresses your love, everything that you're feeling towards that. And when you're done with the letter, fold it up, put it in an envelope. And when you're ready, burn it. Mm. And when you burn that letter, your thought process is I got it all out. And when it's burned, it's gone. Right. And is, is cliche as that sounds, it works. It's like basically forgiving. You're you're forgiving them. Mm-hmm. Correct. You know, true forgiveness is I'm not going to keep rehashing. I'm going to let it go and, you know, and, and move forward. So, so yeah, I like that. Right. And wow. we've used that actually for, I had a particular one-on-one coaching client. I don't do as much coaching clients anymore, but I had her that she was really, really in a bad shape about her husband walking out on her. And she wrote a, a letter of anger and love basically to him. And it took her about two weeks and she went outside and burned it. And the healing and peace that took over her was remarkable. Mm -hmm. I'm a true believer in that. That's deep. I like that. That's a great tip. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this, I mean, this episode was amazing. Thank you so much, Sherry, for just giving us so much knowledge, for giving us your story and for letting the viewers and listeners out there know that you're not alone. And, you know, it's, it's crazy how similar the process is for myself, for you, for Allie, when you're dealing with loss overall. So I really hope that this episode really touches some people on a level where they can begin to heal and move forward and, and encourages them and lets them know that they're not alone, which I think is the most 
that was like the one thing that I that stuck out when you said that you spoke to the young woman who called you and she felt so much healing and relief and peace because you could relate to what she mm-hmm. was going through. Comforting. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, right. um, Ali, Chris, did y'all have anything that y'all wanted to say before we close out? Well, I just think you're an amazing person. Um, thank you for calling in, Sherry. And, you know, I definitely think it's going to help a lot of people because, you know, sometimes I sit back, you know, I'm, I'm 42 now and I look at my parents, they're older. And, um, you know, sometimes I, I sit back and I wonder, like, you know, one day, you know, they're going to be gone. And I love them so much. You know, they've been great parents. You know, when my dad, he'll FaceTime me four or five, six times a week. And I make sure I try to answer most of those FaceTimes because I love my father. I love my mom. And, you know, um, you know, I couldn't imagine, you know, but this will definitely help me, you know, through the process, you know, one day, you know, if that day comes. And, um, you know, even right. when and I you know what, Chris, kids. I think that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Keep, keep answering those FaceTimes. Keep answering yes, those FaceTimes. Yes, Enjoy yeah. every second. I lost my daddy in July of last year, mm-hmm. and it was a very difficult time for my mom. They were married 57 years. But, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if there's ever a preparation, but at least you're educated and you have knowledge. You know right. what is to come. Right. Exactly. And then, you know, when I look at my babies. I just pray over them so much and, you know, try to love them up and be the best father that I can be. And, um, you know, just love them up, you know, because I don't right. want anything to ever happen to those babies. And, you know, I just thank God for my family, you know, my parents, my wife. And, you know, and I thank you for, you know, educating us and helping us and, you know, helping the listeners. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yes. Allie? Um, I just wanted to thank you again. It's been comforting just to kind of sit here and soak it all up, everything that you've been saying. And, you know, when my dad passed two years ago, it was... You know, I still feel like I'm dealing with it because I still feel like I'm going through grief just because of the, you know, estate stuff can be very messy. And and that's kind of what's happened to me. And I've still have all of his things in a closet that I have not opened. Um, But you've kind of inspired me to maybe go open it and to remember and to look through the stuff and share stories with my son. Um, Yes. And I will say that something that you know, my husband did for me, uh, he planted flowers in our backyard, um, in honor of my dad and every summer, you know, they're hydrangeas, my favorite. And every time I look out the window and I see them, that's something that makes me smile. So that's awesome. It's a little thing like that. Yeah. That's awesome. We did the same, um, for my friend when she passed, we carved her name in on a rock and we put that by the site where it happened Mm. and, uh, planted flowers and just tried to turn a negative into a positive. Mm -hmm. So now, I told you before I couldn't even look in that direction. So now when I look in that direction, it's just like more of a piece there mm-hmm. than right. the pain, you know, replace the pain. So, um, yes, um, I would like to we always do a moment of silence, Sherry. So uh, my moment of silence for this episode is to um, all of the loved ones who have impacted our lives so much that their memory keeps us going. And with that being said, Sherry, can you please tell the listeners how they could find you in all of your social media so they can follow? Yes, thank you so much. So, of course, I want everyone to go to Real Girl Talk. Real Girl Talk uh, can be heard on anywhere you listen to podcasts. And I don't want anyone to think that Real Girl Talk is something that you're going to tune into and really be saddened because my whole life is about positive mindset and moving forward and growing so you can live in a, you know, an successful, abundant life. So go to Real Girl Talk. You can also find me on my website, which is sherryricard.com, C-H-E-R-I-E-R-I-C-K-A-R-D.com. You can join the mailing list because we have a lot of cool things coming out. I have a grief recovery roadmap online course that's going to launch in about six weeks. So make sure you get on the email list for that. I have a writer's roadmap that's going to launch to teach you how to write a book and write a book, launch, market it for free. So you want to make sure you go there. You can find me on social media. Empowerment is beauty is my Instagram and my Facebook, but above all, make sure you go back to the website and join the mailing list because that's going to give you firsthand knowledge of everything that's going down. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been a very powerful, powerful topic dealing with loss. Um, I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate you for giving us your time today. Um, I hope that this has touched someone. Um, would love to hear everyone's comments. Make sure you also go on to notforlazymoms.com. And until next time. 
You all keep doing it all. Keep wanting it all. Keep being amazing. Thank you.